You're listening to the Southeast Sustainability Directors Network Green Minds Podcast. I'm Laurel, co-host of the podcast series, along with other SSDN member, Catherine Mercer-Baggett, as we go back and forth in hosting a different podcast every month. And this month, for the month of August, I'm excited to be featuring Michael Dexter. Michael Dexter is the new manager for the Southeast Sustainable Recovery Center. He just started his position a few weeks ago, and so we're excited to have a conversation with him and hear about what this center is going to provide to SSDN members. And we're also going to hear from Michael a little bit about his history from working for the federal government to local agencies from being a grantor to a grantee. So here's my conversation with Michael Dexter on SSDN's Green Minds. Welcome to Green Minds here on the Southeast Sustainability Directors Network. I'm Laurel, and I'm here excited to have another special guest for the Green Minds podcast series. And I want to give a warm welcome to Michael Dexter. He is the new Southeast Sustainable Recover Center Manager, new to his position. How's it going, Michael? It is going well. Thank you very much for having me. Good. Well, I know um, you are new to your position, so I'm grateful for you taking time to be on this podcast and have this conversation since you're probably just putting your toes into the water in terms of uh, your responsibilities and what you're going to get jazzed about uh, working in this position. So I um, wanted to definitely be mindful of that, but I'm grateful for you to be here with us. And um, I think it, I, from the folks who are at SSDN, we have heard about this new position, but not a heard, not heard a whole lot other than um, that it is a new role to help cities across the Southeast network uh, to get more connected into funding opportunities from the federal level, et cetera, and some other funding sources. But please, Michael, can you share with me about this new role as a Southeast Sustainable Recover Center Manager? Thank you very much. Uh, it's great to be here. And uh, one thing I'll say about the Southeast Sustainable Recovery Center Manager is that this program has just been launched, uh, and I'm quite new to the position here in August of 2021. But uh, in, as part of that, I think there's a, this great opportunity where we can build out the program based upon the input from our members. And so as we look at this center, there's obviously a lot of existing uh, financial opportunities for our members to invest in sustainability at the local level. However, I think there's a lot of uh, opportunity to find kind of leverage that. Uh, and that's where my position will really come in is working across our membership to find ways, find the opportunities, help to advance those opportunities and overcome some of the challenges that communities in the Southeast have uh, to applying for these grants and receiving these grants. And when you say these grants, can you be a little bit more specific about what you're referencing? Absolutely. I, there's a lot of opportunities right now uh, regarding the uh, American Rescue Plan and the state and local fiscal recovery funds. However, I'm actually very, uh, I have, I'm very interested in the BRIC grants, the Building Resilient uh, Infrastructure and Communities grants. These are grants that actually aren't due until January of 2022. However, uh, it's important that for any uh, individual or sustainability director that is interested in these grants to get in touch with your local hazard mitigation officer sooner rather than later, as many states might have their own uh, deadlines. But these grants were actually uh, doubled in terms of the amount of funds for them. So right now, there's actually going to be a billion dollars given out uh, in early 2022 
for communities to really invest in the community to become more resilient. And one thing that's really new about those grants is that they're going to be actually implementing this administration's commitment to Justice 40. Uh, this came out of an executive order, basically trying to ensure that 40% of federal funds went to support uh, communities that were uh, called disadvantaged communities. Uh, this administration has a sort of broad definition of disadvantaged communities. And so there's, in many cases, a lot of communities, particularly tribal communities, underserved or other overburdened communities, will have the opportunity to uh, actually have that in their prospectus or in their application and get further uh, uh, points towards their application for identifying how the grant project would actually go to supporting those communities. So there's a lot of opportunity right now around infrastructure investment. Obviously, uh, we're looking at the recent infrastructure plan that was passed through the Senate, um, but th that's still something that once we actually see what happens in the House and otherwise, we'll have a better feeling of how that will actually impact our members going forward, uh, probably later in 2021. But for now, mm -hmm. I'm really focused on some of the existing grants that are open to communities and how we can sort of leverage uh, the broader Southeast Sustainability Directors Network, uh, the membership to kind of support our applications and increase the percentage of federal funding to coming to communities in the Southeast. Now, being from um, Nashville, Tennessee, um, hazard mitigation funding usually is uh, applied for through our Metro Water Services Department, which manages our stormwater, our, um, our green spaces that have been bought out because of flood recovery, FEMA funds and things like that. And obviously our day-to-day our -day, uh, water services systems. Um, is that typical of most cities uh, that it's run through or does it, every city is a little different for those hazard mitigation funding opportunities? I think in many cases, uh, most cities are uh, unique in their structure and how they will apply for these. There is uh, generalities where you'll have to work with a state counterpart uh, to submit these basically sub applications through the state. But otherwise, uh, I think honestly, what you see is also sort of a microcosm of what we see with the sustainability directors. Uh, their positions can sort of spread the gamut from being in a public works, being directly in a mayor or city manager's office, or being in economic development or other entities. So uh, it's quite unique to the community. And uh, my hope is that I can find those uh, commonalities across the communities and work with the sustainability director so that even if, say, they're not the one that's actually applying for the grant, they can find ways to support the public works, um, met, uh, you said Metro Nashville or other mm -hmm. entity, it would be the exact uh, target for those funds. Now, I think uh, the at least, and I don't know if this is the grant opportunity you're referencing that their submissions are due the end of September, 2021. Is this a different grant that I'm referencing and thinking of? Correct. I believe the one uh, that you're referencing for uh, September 2021 might be the, uh, uh, apologies, the disadvantaged. Um, there's quite a few different grant opportunities available at this time. Uh, the grant that you're, uh, apologies, 
the one I'm uh, referencing, and I can provide the actual uh, CFDA number, uh, it's the uh, Building Resilient Infrastructure and Communities. Uh, and that's the national deadline isn't until January 28, 2022. But again, there might be different uh, state or local deadlines necessary. Uh, I'm trying to see which grant you might be referring to uh, that closed on 930. There are a lot of grant opportunities out there, which is fantastic, but that's why we're grateful that you're in this position so we can help navigate this. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I can say from personal experience that navigating uh, grants.gov is sometimes frustrating to say the least. And uh, hopefully my ability to uh, not only provide that sort of front end in highlighting what grant opportunities are available, but also helping communities go through the process of the application and more importantly, helping the sustainability officials find ways to uh, ensure that they're involved in those discussions or ways that they can sort of supplement a more uh, traditional uh, project that might be the community's focus, but supplement that with more sustainability-oriented uh, uh, projects would be beneficial. So, Michael, uh, obviously you're you're new to your position, um, but can you go a little bit deeper about what you would think in, in terms of liaisoning with um, city sustainability directors and your knowledge and wherewithal about these grant opportunities and the process of it? Is it more, is it a uh, we come to you and you come to us kind of thing? Is it a balance of, of both of that? What would you envision more of the hands-on work you'd be doing with us? Uh, great question. And that's something I think that will largely evolve as this uh, sort of gets built out. But my hope is that uh, it can be a way, two-way conversation. So honestly, I'm looking to see what is most beneficial uh, to you all as sustainability directors. In order to uh, understand that, I, I do need to um, learn more about your needs and what sort of uh, unique considerations your community might have. So from that, uh, and I would like to have and I probably anticipate having uh, weekly sort of, if you will, office hours or just uh, open communication hours where I'll just set up a Zoom or uh, Google Meet and just uh, anyone that wants to can jump on the call, get to know me. Uh, we can just discuss whatever they want to uh, and just have a very uh, conversational um, communication back and forth on opportunities and not have it be overly structured. That being said, just because we are also... Uh, we have been successful in having so much of uh, membership in regards to SSDN. We have near, uh, I think now, 100 members. Uh, that will obviously also necessitate having more structured outreach. So say when there is a uh, grant that becomes available, um, I might actually have a tailored webinar on that. So I can go in-depth on that and sort of supplement the other information that you might have through grants.gov or uh, another avenue for uh, learning more about that grant and sort of the intricacies of how we could better structure uh, applications to be more successful. In your position as Sustainable Recovery Center Manager, you see Recovery Center, is there a center? Or are you the center? <laughs> so <laughs> the, the center is largely being built out with myself and as well as uh, sort of strategic partnerships, both internally within SSDN. Obviously, we have a great uh, staff and um, just about every individual uh, at SSDN and even USDN uh, is 
in support of um, recovery. And so recovery is one of those very broad terminologies where uh, to each community might mean differently. But um, amongst SSDN, I think this is one area where uh, we have not only the uh, current networking amongst our members, but we also have these sort of strategic partnerships outside, whether it be with nonprofits or non-governmental organizations, uh, as well as with the broader USDN network uh, and other philanthropic partners. Well, I'm sure that um, they'll, that will continue to evolve, um, depending on not only funding opportunities, but as members um, realize what their needs are. Um, certainly, I know here in Nashville, typically, I don't have the experience to do federal grant writing. And I would say we really don't have a staff that that does that. And so that I would probably need some guidance if I need to outsource that or what, um, what kind of uh, opportunities there are to learn how to write a grant, perhaps even. It, that's a great observation. That's something I think is so important because uh, when we look at our members, oftentimes, uh, I'm not familiar with your day-to-day, but some of our members, like they're focused on sustainability, again, is just very broad. I mean, one individual might have underneath them uh, everything from recycling to climate change to energy efficiency to external engagement with uh, EJ communities. And so you're already probably leveraged 120% capacity. And so finding ways to uh, sort of leverage um, your insight and your awareness of what would be best beneficial to your community with um, maybe external partners could also be something we could look into. I know some communities have looked towards uh, community foundations or otherwise that do have experience with grant writing and trying to see if they can sort of leverage some of their expertise, combine it with uh, your expertise from a sustainability director's uh, perspective, and then also get the external expertise that you'll have from uh, individuals on the ground, those affected by decisions, and find ways to sort of leverage each of those to more efficiently apply for and then manage these grants. Uh, because you're exactly right. I, uh, I can speak from experience as being uh, someone who would apply for these grants where uh, I would be precluded from actually being the project manager because of internal controls. And so I would have to look to one of our two project managers and both of them, again, were running around with so much already on their plate that it just, we had to look at some of these opportunities and just say, we can't do it. Uh, and that is just, it's so painful because uh, in many cases, these are the communities that are already amongst the most in need of these funds, yet the very fact that sometimes we just have to let these grants go out of the wayside uh, are even just more painful. And so my hope is that I can work with uh, your community and communities like yours across uh, the Southeast to find ways to uh, create these sort of innovative partnerships to actually apply for the grants and be successful in that uh, endeavor. And Michael, do you envision that there would be um, maybe a, as part of the center a a landing page or um, resource page that's call, that calls out those grant opportunities that would be most inviting to sustainability directors? Absolutely. Um, we have just actually released a web page on uh, our website on SSDN's website, and I believe right now that will actually link to uh, a very uh, basic right now. Uh, spreadsheet that I will be updating on a weekly basis with new opportunities. 
Um, I recognize that there are other entities out there that are providing information on a lot of grants, but uh, I'll just say that one area where I think we have additional value is that uh, looking at our membership, we recognize that we're not always going to be going for the the multi-million dollar grants. Some of the most important grants might also be uh, smaller ones, such as Wetlands Conservation, some of their small grant opportunities. Uh, plus, I think there's a definite benefit, and hopefully some of our members will utilize direct technical assistance, so sort of non-monetary assistance from the federal government. That is something that uh, everything, everyone from DHS to EPA, uh, NOAA, and on, on down the line have a lot of these direct technical assistance opportunities that traditionally those or other pilots are uh, sometimes given to communities that they know of, that they have an existing relationship with. And that might not always be the Southeastern communities. That's uh, traditionally more communities up uh, near where a regional headquarters is or um, where the EPA is. Uh, so looking at this, I, I think there's a definite benefit for me, not only identifying what is available on the monetary side, but also these, these sort of non-monetary uh, opportunities that uh, will hope, help to further, uh, apologies, <laughs> um, will help to further uh, sort of guide uh, communities going forward because uh, these sort of non-monetary opportunities really do help support future grant applications as they provide a lot of beneficial information that can be used to supplement the narrative on future applications. Mm -hmm. And that's a very good point. In fact, I got an email recently from our State Department of Environment about NREL, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, now offering those types of um, technical support um, that could be utilized. And, you know, D Department of Energy and their Better Buildings staff has always been extremely useful and helpful um, in terms of technical advisement as well. And it's oftentimes it's more of, Ooh, that seems like a big elephant. Ooh, that's a big document to look at. Then I have to see how would how would I reach out to them and be able to tap into that. But um, I think it sounds like that that Google Meetup that you're referencing would be opportunities where we could hear from each other and hear from you on um, how to be most efficient and effective in utilizing those resources. Absolutely, I, I would look at it as a uh, learning endeavor, not only um, among uh, amongst the broader network and finding out what projects say have been successful elsewhere in other communities in the Southeast, and then identifying how you use that to best inform your own application. Uh, to also having me there to really do the deep dives into these documents so that hopefully you uh, wouldn't have to upon initial uh, framework. Because the worst that happens is having to go into one of these documents, getting into the process, all right, we're gonna apply and then figure out, well, actually, wait, no, we're not eligible or uh, the project wouldn't be a uh, primary focus or something like that. So mm -hmm. uh, my hope is that I can really cut down on some of that time uh, requirement necessary for you and other sustainability officials like yourself. Uh, so you can bet, uh, most effectively use your time on the projects that are actually making a difference at the local level. Mm -hmm. 
And Michael, your experience, you have been a grantor and a grantee, uh, which gives you a, a unique experience from being both sides um, of that. And so you've got your master's of public administration from Columbia University in New York City, and you currently reside in Sarasota, Florida. Um, uniquely, you have had a career at, at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency at the EPA, uh, which is really cool. I, I've always dreamed of that being a neat job. So uh, can you expand a little bit more about what, what led you out of school into, into then eventually the EPA? Absolutely. Uh, my interests, uh, both in undergrad and grad school, really revolved around climate change adaptation and disaster resilience. And honestly, that all kind of uh, comes back to growing up on the Gulf Coast of Florida uh, in uh, as a vulnerable area for hurricanes and other natural disasters. I mean, when I was really young, I probably went through four different floods, uh, all in a span of two years, uh, when I was probably around five or six years old. And so that leaves an indelible uh, impact on someone. So uh, while a lot of my classmates were focusing on the climate change mitigation route, I was focusing on hazard mitigation. I was focusing on climate change adaptation. So I leveraged that from getting a grad degree, then going on to work at EPA, in water security and disaster resilience. Uh, I was fortunate to serve as a volunteer through uh, emergency operations efforts, as well as work with communities across the country on how to uh, best implement uh, disaster security protocols around drinking water, wastewater, and stormwater facilities. Uh, around two years in, I actually transitioned to the administrator's office uh, during the last two years of the Obama-Biden administration to work on the climate change adaptation plan. Uh, this was in the administrator's office on a small climate change adaptation staff. And honestly, I loved that. I loved really focusing on the local level, figuring out what we could do to best support communities as they try to adapt, as they try to assess their own vulnerabilities. And so uh, while I was there, I was able to work on several resources that actually uh, continue to exist still to this day and have gone through administrations. Um, but chief among them was a uh, website that really aggregated information from across the EPA, because just as you all in local government uh, oftentimes have to deal with your own silos between different divisions, so too did the EPA have these very significant silos uh, at headquarters, as well as sometimes in the regions. And so trying to work across those silos uh, to make sure everyone is working on a concerted, uh, focused effort around adaptation uh, was just, I, it was uh, a, a great time and I had an amazing experience. Um, with the change of administration, my focus also changed to being uh, focused around grant oversight on a pretty innovative program that EPA has. It's basically EPA's version of a block grant where uh, communities are able to uh, predominantly states and tribal uh, governments are able to actually combine multiple streams of funding and quote unquote braid them together uh, so they don't have the same uh, level of requirements necessary around um, uh, restrictions on usage and uh, a few other different reporting requirements. And so with that opportunity, one thing I really enjoyed about that is it really showed that uh, the federal government and uh, EPA in general can be quite flexible. And so a lot of the federal agencies provide significant amounts in federal funding 
And it's really up to the state and local governments to uh, find these sort of unique ways in which to implement their priorities. Um, obviously with the last administration, uh, there was still quite a bit of work around using these funds for uh, innovative efforts around environmental justice and climate change adaptation. Um, but I felt a lot of that was lost in sort of the narrative. It didn't really get publicized that you could use this flexibility. Uh, what, when my job ended around two years into the last administration, I actually then moved to uh, a national estuary program located in my hometown. Uh, this program is actually basically a special district for the state of Florida. So uh, it operates on the local level or regional level, um, but is technically considered a state an agency of the state government. Um, I then became the grants management official for the, them as well as finance and accounting. And honestly, that provided a lot of insight where previously I had just the federal perspective and I was really looking and thinking, why aren't more of these grants or why aren't more of these opportunities being utilized towards some of these innovative projects that um, I know a lot of these communities are trying to pursue. And it really helped me recognize how sometimes uh, federal agencies can get in their own way, uh, as well as just the sort of silos of uh, local government and uh, federal government are also represented in the accounting framework. Is that you really, you try to stay very in line with uh, requirements, even though the federal government allows a lot for a lot of flexibility. And so, uh, trying to find these sort of innovative ways to overcome some of the challenges facing local government uh, was definitely uh, something that I really focused on at uh, my last position and something that I really hope that I can bring to uh, the SSDN now because in many ways, the rubber hits the road right at the local level. So while we can look to EPA and hope for national policy around a multitude of different uh, projects or support around a multitude of different sustainability priorities, it really is down to the local level to implement them. And so my hope is I can work with communities like yours and others around the Southeast to figure out ways to implement the sustainability priorities that you and your communities have identified. Wow, you definitely have a well-rounded experience and knowledge, uh, Michael. And I would envision that the when you saw this opportunity, um, you you could see how your experience from both sides uh, could be valuable to our network and enhance the work that we do as sustainability directors. So my hope is that we can continue with this and sort of build this out as the communities uh, identify their needs uh, and continue going forward uh, through this administration and helping. Uh, communities like yours identify those needs and uh, continue to pursue those priorities. Mm-hmm. Well, we're excited um, about you being in this role. And I was perusing our website, which is southeastsdn.org. And it looks like um, under programs, you have a placeholder for the Southeast Sustainable Recovery Center. So I uh, look forward to having information posted there. And of course, um, you can learn more about your history, Michael, um, on that website if you just click on over to About and hear a little bit more about what you did at the EPA and at the Estuary Program as well. So, um, well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Did you have any last things you want to share with our members? No, please, uh, I guess the last thing I would say is uh, please feel free to reach out um, until uh, this becomes more formalized and having uh, weekly calls or anything like that. I'm more than happy to respond um, 
uh, at, for whoever wants to reach out. Uh, my email is michael at southeastsdn.org. Uh, and look forward to hearing from you and uh, seeing how the Southeast Sustainable Recovery Center uh, can help you. We'll have a part two, I have a feeling. So we'll be back be back on a podcast part two with you, Michael, in the very near future um, to hear as, as you get a little bit deeper into your role in this new position. So thank you so much for being here on the Green Minds podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You're listening to the Southeast Sustainability Directors Network Green Minds Podcast. This is the episode for August featuring Michael Dexter, and we'll be back next month with another podcast to inform, educate, and inspire our SSDN members. Till next time, live green.